Amen. Oh, so good to see all of you out tonight and good to have you all joining us from your homes this evening. Exodus chapter 11 tonight, Exodus chapter 11. Before we get into that, just a couple of reminders. Friday morning, uh, we're having a team come and set up all of our Christmas decorations. We got a jump start on Sunday, did you see? Uh, but we need the rest of them set up. So men, women, if you could show up around 8.30 on Friday morning, that would be great. Hopefully get done by lunchtime. Then don't forget gals. Next Thursday, December the 1st, is your Christmas dinner. And if you'd like to sign up for that, just go to the website and sign up for that. Also, I'll just mention this, and we'll begin to talk about this uh, in earnest as we get into December, which isn't far away now. Um, but our holiday schedule, and hopefully you've seen the slide for the last couple of weeks, uh, some changes. Now, for the last 12 years, we always take the last two Wednesdays of the year off, the Wednesday before Christmas, the Wednesday after. That has always been the case, and that will remain the same. So the 21st and the 28th of December, no midweek service, Okay. But this year, because uh, Christmas Eve falls on, or, yeah, Christmas falls on Sunday, uh, we're not going to have services on Christmas Day, but we're hoping that everyone can join us for Christmas Eve service on Saturday night. And then the next Sunday, obviously, is New Year's Day, where instead of having two services, we're only going to have one at 10 o'clock. And then once we get into January, we'll resume our normal schedule, all right? We'll be, we'll be talking a lot about that, because I know it's a lot to throw at you at one time. When we come to Exodus chapter 11, it's the final plague, if you will. It is the death of the firstborn. And before we talk a little bit about that, I want to remind us again that twice in this chapter, the beginning of verse 1, the beginning of verse 9, you have this very familiar phrase throughout this section of the book of Exodus. The Lord said to Moses. He is making things clear to Moses so that Moses doesn't have to grope or guess at what he should say to Pharaoh, what he should do next. He is clearly being led and directed by God. We should be so thankful that we can hear the voice of God and that we have the word of God and that we, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, can be led and directed by God. That, that's huge. That is something we should be thankful for, is that we as God's sheep can hear his voice and that we can get direction and leading and all of that from the Lord continually. And uh, that's something that Moses was so blessed, was he was directly getting his directions uh, from the Lord himself. Now, I want us to see in this passage tonight something that I hope will be very comforting for us. And that is that when God spoke to Moses, he clearly was displaying his sovereignty. 
He was reminding Moses in the words that he gave him that I am the Lord and I am in control. That should bring great comfort to us. Because in this passage, what you will see are phrases like God saying, I will. And saying to Moses, he will, speaking of Pharaoh, how he's going to respond and react. And they will, speaking about the Egyptians and what they're going to do. God, in a sense, is saying to Moses, before it ever happens, all that's going to happen. Only the, the one who's in control of everything can make those kind of statements. Only the Lord of the universe who has everything under his control can tell a person exactly what's going to happen before it happens and can guarantee it's going to happen because he's the one that's going to make it happen. And because he knows exactly what's going to happen before it even happens because he's God. He knows how people are going to respond before he ever even does anything. And that's what he's sharing with Moses. So I want us to apply that truth to our life today. That we need to be comforted in the fact that our God is sovereign. He is in control of this universe. He knows exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And that he has a plan and purpose for everything. Including even like in the book of Exodus the allowance of evil people to sometimes be in control. We as Christians, even today, we get so befuddled when, when, you know, things aren't going right in the world, at least from our perspective, and, and this person is in charge, and this person, and somehow it's as if we, you know, come to the conclusion, I guess, because of the circumstances that, that God must not be in control or things would be different or he's impotent. He can't do anything about it. And it's nothing could be further from the truth. Amen. He absolutely is always in control. And he's absolutely not impotent. He could change things in a split second if he wanted to. He has purposes for why he's doing what he's doing or not doing what he's doing. He's already told Pharaoh that through Moses. He said, I could have wiped you out on day one. I've allowed you to stand as the leader of the Egyptian people and really the most powerful person on planet Earth to magnify myself through your obstinacy and stubbornness and rebellion against me. I know exactly what I'm doing. And God's people, we need to get behind that today. We need to make sure that we don't lose track of the fact that God is always in complete control. He knows exactly what's happening and why it's happening and what's going to happen before it happens. And hopefully that brings great comfort and encouragement to us. Notice in verse 1, he addresses Moses as Jehovah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the covenant name for God, the God of Israel, the one who can be trusted, can be relied upon, 
can be depended upon because he is faithful, he is trustworthy. And everything he says, just like he's going to point out here, has happened or will happen exactly as he said it would. God says what he means and he means what he says and everything he says should be taken seriously. Now, obviously, Pharaoh hasn't done that, but you and I should. So the Lord said to Moses, notice, I will. This is what I'm going to do and no one can stop me because I'm the Lord. I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, notice God's guarantee to Moses. After that, he will release you from this plague. God knows what's going to happen before it happens. When he releases you, he will drive you out completely from this place. I mean, God's basically giving Moses a movie ahead of time of what's going to happen. Here it is, Moses. Be encouraged. Be comforted. Now, we could say, well, I wish God would do that for me today. Well, he has. Read the last couple books of the Bible. He's told us how things are going to happen. He's told us in prophecy, contained throughout the Bible, how things are going to be in the last days and beyond that, what we can expect. He's told us not everything we want to know, but everything we need to know to live in hope, to live in confidence, to know that God has us and he has this universe and he's moving everything in the absolute direction that he wants to go. And that's exactly what he's saying here to Moses at this time. I want to go back to this phrase in verse 1, one more. One more plague. This is the last one. This is the one that will finally bring Pharaoh to his knees and he will release you. One more. Now the reason why that's significant is because that reminds us our God is a God of grace. Our God is a God of mercy, and he's been merciful. As he said to Pharaoh, I could have wiped you out on day one. I've allowed you to exist and go bantering back and forth with me, and I've allowed you to, to make false claims to my spokesperson, Moses, and then you renege on your promises, and you don't let me. I've put up with all that but I'm coming to the end. This is it. You've been given fair warning over and over and over. I've been more than patient with you, Pharaoh. One more, one more. And the reason why that's important for us to remember is that God is a God of grace. And God does deal with us as human beings in a gracious manner, but there is even an end to grace. There comes a point where God says, that's it, we're done. I mean, throughout the Bible, Noah built the ark. Hundreds of years, he preached that judgment was coming. Anybody that wanted to get on that ark and be saved from the judgment to come could have gotten on that ark. But there came a day where God told Noah, 
get into the ark. And if you know the story, Noah didn't close the door. God closed the door of the ark. God said, that's it. Judgment's now coming. One more. You think about that in light of our lives and, and the life of those around us. We don't know how many opportunities God gives us. But there comes a point where that's the last one. That's the last one. I mean, there's coming a time on this earth where God says, my son's going to come and rapture out my people. And everything's going to change on this earth. And it's going to be a hellish seven years on this earth during the great tribulation. And God has warned people and he's... But there comes a point where God says, that's it. Last warning. Now it comes. And judgment falls. You know. And I want us to make sure that we didn't pass over that quickly because... We need to realize, again, God is very long-fused. <laughs> and he's way more patient with us and with things that go on than we would ever be. But even in that, there will be an end. At some point, God says, that's the last opportunity. One more plague. And that's exactly what's coming upon Pharaoh. Notice... It says, when he releases you, he will drive you out. Literally in the Hebrew, he'll throw you out. He, he so much wants to get rid of you that he will throw you out of Egypt. And notice, completely. Because remember in the last couple of weeks, we've seen where like Pharaoh was trying to negotiate. Oh, okay, Moses, I'll let you go, but I'm keeping the women and children. Then later on, he goes, oh, Moses, I'll let you go, but I'm keeping your livestock. God's, and Moses said, nope, no compromise, Pharaoh. We're all gone or none of us are gone. That's the way God has it. We're all gone or none of us are going. That, that's why I applied that to even us as a church. God wants us to move, and he wants us all to move. He, he doesn't want to leave anybody behind. He, he, he wants to take all of us. When God set his people free from Egypt, he wanted them all to go to the promised land. Every last one of them. Sad to say, because of their unbelief, that generation had to die out. So that the new generation, led by Joshua and Caleb, could be the ones to go in. Again, because there came an end, and God said, enough is enough. Your carcasses will lie in the wilderness because you did not believe. And, and when you think about that, could there have been a generation of human beings who saw the power and glory of God more than that generation? They saw every last plague upon Egypt. They saw their own protection from each of those plagues that God was distinguishing between them and the Egyptians, they saw all that. They saw God lead them by the fire by night and by a cloud by day. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. They saw it all. Think about that and remember that come Sunday. Because that ties into the message on Sunday. 
It's not by seeing. That's not how God operates. Those who saw the most believed the least. Think about that. Then verse 2. Instruct the people. This is the first time that God now is directly telling Moses, this now is not about you speaking to Pharaoh or the Egyptians. Now I want you to speak to my people, the people that you are leading out. And I want you to instruct each man and each woman to request from his or her neighbor, the Egyptians, silver and gold. Because you're coming out of Egypt with riches. Riches that the Egyptians will put in your hands willingly. Now, keep your finger there and go back to the book of Genesis chapter 15. There's a conversation that God is having with Abraham in our study of Genesis way back. Genesis 15, let's start with verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign country. They will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. Verse 14, But I will execute judgment on the nation that they will serve. Afterward, they will come out with many possessions. God even told Abram, Centuries before, this is what's going to happen. Because I'm God. And I know what's going to happen way before it happens. And I'm telling you, that you will not come out of Egypt having to hang your heads. You will come out as an army. And you will come out filled with riches from Egypt as compensation for all those years that you were enslaved in Egypt and you got nothing for it. I'm a God who's fair. You're going to get what's coming to you, what's owed to you that they never paid you. And I'm going to give you enough riches as provision for your time in the wilderness. Because God's a God who takes care of his people, even his rebellious people. And, and he's going to make sure that they're well taken care of and have the funds and the means that they need to provide for themselves in the years ahead. That's who God is. I think about that kind of situation every year at Christmas time when I think about the Christmas story. And the visit of the wise men. Because when those wise men brought those gifts to Jesus, those gifts were obviously expressions of worship to the Christ child. But very pragmatically and practically, those gifts were also being able to be used by Joseph and Mary to provide their needs while they fled to Egypt for a couple years. See, God... God's, God knows what's going to happen ahead of time and literally brings things into his people's lives to provide for things that they don't even see coming yet, but he does. That's what kind of God he is. An amazing God. So back to Exodus 11.3. The Lord granted the people, his own people, favor with the Egyptians. Can you believe that? After all these years as slaves... They're now going to leave Egypt and, and, and in a sense, be accepted. And, and moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt. He was esteemed. He was admired. He was being 
honored, looked up to, it says, respected by Pharaoh's servants and by the Egyptian people. Everybody in Egypt admired Moses but Pharaoh. He was the only one. Only God can do that. Only God can take someone who's so despised at first and turn things around. God can bring favor to those that he wants to bring favor to. And I want to encourage us with that tonight. You and I don't need to seek the favor of men. If God wants us to be in favor with somebody, he'll make it happen. And we don't have to try to manipulate and make it happen. God will cause it to happen. If God wants you to be seen in a certain way by a certain person or group of people, God can make that happen to us just as he did to Moses. That's who God is. He can grant us favor in the presence of others. He can grant other people favor in our presence. He can change hearts. He can make that happen as we're seeing here in the book of Exodus. It's a reminder that these people, his own people, man, they're, they're leaving Egypt in style. <laughs> they're not leaving hanging their heads in, in, in defeat and sort of running out the back door as some runaway slave. No, they're leaving in an honorable position because when God delivers his people, that's, that's how he wants them to view themselves. You are my people. You don't, you don't have any right to hang your head. You are God's people. You're mine. You're honored. And that's humbling to think about even today for us. As we walk through this world, we must remember that we carry the name of Jesus Christ with us. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we walk through this world, we should walk through this world with our heads up high, knowing that, not that we're better than any of anybody else, but that we have been privileged and honored to be called the children of God. And that's the way it was with God's people here. Verse 4, Moses says, Thus says the Lord, does the word of God carry weight and authority? About midnight, you know why God picked midnight for the death angel to come through Egypt and kill the firstborn? Because the Egyptians were scared to death of dark. That's why their main god was Ra, the sun god. They did not like the dark. And so that already sort of like, you know, they were already afraid. Then for this to happen at midnight, it's like God picked that perfect time to come. I will go throughout Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die, from the firstborn sons of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle. There will be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there's never been or ever will be again. Pretty strong stuff, right? Yeah. Is God choosing to do this judgment arbitrarily just because he wants to be mean and cruel? No. 
Let's remember something. Who first killed the babies of the Israelites? Pharaoh in Egypt. Who threw the firstborn into the Nile? The Israelites. It was Pharaoh and Egypt. And the firstborn was considered sacred to the Egyptians. They almost worshipped the firstborn of anything. And God is saying, no, firstborn's mine because I'm the Lord. I will take the firstborn. In fact, keep your finger there and go back to the book of Exodus chapter 4 for just a moment. Why is God treating the firstborn of the Egyptians this way? Well, I think we get a hint about it in verses 22 and 23 of Exodus 4. God tells Moses early on in his conversations with Pharaoh, you must say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, notice, Israel is mine, my son. And notice what God says about Israel. They are who? They are his firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me or I will surely kill your son, your firstborn. God warned him long time ago. You are messing with my firstborn, my people. They're my firstborn. You don't mess with my people, my firstborn, and get away with it. There will be consequences. So God did not choose to come in judgment against the firstborn of the Egyptians arbitrarily. There was a great purpose behind it. I want us to be reminded of that concept too when it comes to us. We are called the church of the firstborn in Hebrews chapter 12. God has a special place in his heart for his people. We are the apple of his eye. If people are messing with us, he doesn't like that. And he will only let that go so long and then he will step in and he will intervene. Because we're his people. And he has taken responsibility for us as his people. He is our shepherd. And the condition of the sheep goes a long way towards picturing the competency of the shepherd. If the sheep aren't well taken care of, then that speaks to the shepherd, not the sheep. And so God wants to show, I'm a good shepherd. I can take care of my sheep. That's why we do God a great disservice as his sheep when we go around grumbling and complaining and griping. Because in a sense, we're saying to people around us, our God isn't taking very good care of us. And you think about it, that's exactly what the Israelites did. After all that God had done for them, what was the main sin of the Israelites. 
they were always murmuring, griping, and complaining about their lot. As if somehow God was not a good shepherd taking care of his people. Back to then Exodus. Verse 7, once again we see that God is making a distinction here as he spares his people from this plague. And next week, I hope you'll come back. We're going to talk about the Passover. Very significant. But against verse 7, any of the Israelites, not even a dog will bark against either people or animals. God's going to even shut the mouths of the dogs that night against the Israelites. So that, notice, so that you, Pharaoh, may know that the Lord distinguishes between Egypt and Israel. And the reason why I'm telling you that he's speaking here specifically and singularly to Pharaoh is because the word you in verse 7 is singular. He's not speaking generally to a group of people. He is speaking directly to Pharaoh. He's saying, so that you, Pharaoh, may know by experience that I, the Lord, can distinguish between the Egyptians and the Israelites. Though I bring judgment against you, I can bring protection for my own people. All these, your servants. Now, this is God speaking through Moses. All these your servants will come to me and bow down to me. They will humble themselves before me, though you've not humbled themselves. They will prostrate themselves before me, though you've never prostrated yourself before me. Go you and all the people who follow you, you will say, and after that, I will go out. Notice, Moses is saying to Pharaoh, the end is not in doubt, Pharaoh. We will go out. It's just a matter of time. Think of even the transformation in Moses here. I mean, here was this guy who was trying to talk God out of having him be the leader, right? He wanted no parts of it. Send somebody else. I'm terrible speaker, this and that. Made all kinds of excuses. And now here, you've got this confident strong leader who's standing up to, to Pharaoh and basically saying, bye, we're gone. In fact, notice it even says, then Moses went out from Pharaoh in great anger, verse 8. Literally in the Hebrew, heat. Moses was hot. Why was Moses so hot when he left Pharaoh's presence? I think it was righteous indignation. You know, it's possible, according to the Bible, for us to be angry and not sin. The Bible tells us that. Be angry and sin not. And I think this is one of those cases where Moses was, was expressing righteous indignation at Pharaoh. What do I mean? Well, for one thing, I think he, he was hot that Pharaoh had got to this point that caused all this. That he has caused such destruction upon his own nation and his own people because he was unwilling to humble himself before God. I think that made Moses righteously mad. And then to think about the fact that the firstborn 
all these people are going to suffer because of the sin of this one man. The Bible teaches us that. The sin of one person can bring destruction on so many. We see that in our society today. The choices of one person can destroy many lives. You know what? The opposite of that is also true. One righteous person can make a huge difference. Be encouraged by that as well. But I think Moses was hot. He was like, it never had to be this way, Pharaoh. This could have turned out so differently. If you'd have just had a little humility in you at any point in this process and bowed yourself to the Lord, things could have been so different. But they weren't. And now, I think Moses can see what's coming. And though he's obviously joyful, that finally his people are going to be released from slavery in Egypt after 400 plus years, that he's angry at the way it all had to go down because it didn't have to be this way. And it's all on Pharaoh. It's all on Pharaoh. And then verse 9 and 10, the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders, a display of my power, may be multiplied in the land of Egypt, increased, so that I am able to give an even deeper impression upon the Egyptians and the nation of Egypt for a long time to come. They won't forget about this for a long time. God wants to make a deep impression in all of our lives. He, he wants to cut deep grooves. But he wants to do it in a positive way. That would be his choice. Not in a negative way, but in a positive way. And you know what that takes? And that leads to the verse 10. That takes what we've talked a lot about here in our study of the book of Exodus. The condition of our heart. Because notice it says in verse 10, so Moses and Aaron did all these wonders, these miracles and signs before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart because remember, Pharaoh's heart was hardened first. The Lord was just confirming that and he did not release the Israelites from his land. It was all about Pharaoh's heart. His heart was so hard that God had to do something very drastic to make an impression. Because the softer the surface, the more tender the surface, the impression not only can be made deeply, but it doesn't have to have a lot of pressure for the impression to be made. I'm going to use a really, for you guys, maybe like wild illustration, like where'd you come up with that? But it's the only thing my weird little mind could come up with. My wife and I, since she's here tonight, we, we especially her, she, she sort of likes a very firm pillow to sleep on, okay? And, and I must say, I, I don't like like a, although I can, I would like 
a pillow with some kind of substance so that my head just doesn't go, you know. But as you travel and as you, you know, go to a hotel or whatever, most of the time those pillows aren't, don't have a lot of substance to them. And, and immediately I, I just thought, like, you know, because the pillow is so soft, you, you put your head down, you make an impression real quickly and real easily. It, it doesn't take anything for the impression of your head to be put on that pillow because there's nothing to it. it it's impressionable because it's soft. There's no hardness to it. Well, in a positive way, though I might not like my pillow that way, God wants our hearts that way. God wants our hearts to be like a soft pillow to where when he moves and he works, that impression can be made without a lot of pressure and where it can sink down deep and be there for a long time, you see. That even after we get up from the pillow, you can still see the outline of our head because it doesn't bounce back very quickly either because it's that soft. That's the kind of heart that God is looking for. And that's why you and I, when we think about even this study of the book of Exodus, one of the things hopefully that we'll take away more than anything else is making sure that our heart at all times is tender and soft and pliable for the Lord. So that when he wants to make an impression upon us, he doesn't have to do anything too drastic. He doesn't have to apply a whole lot of pressure to make that deep impression. Because God will if he has to. God doesn't want to do th drastic things or negative things to make impressions in our life or to get our attention. But he will for our own good if he has to. But what he's looking for is a soft heart. You know, I'll close with this. In the book of Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, you can read this for yourself later on tonight. There are several times where the author of the book of Hebrews is talking to the Israelite people. And he's saying to the Hebrews of the first century that he's writing to, oh, those of you that are hearing God's voice today, oh, that you would not harden your hearts like they did in Moses' day. in the day of the wilderness wanderings, in the day where they hardened their hearts and they would not respond and listen to God, where God had to do something drastic like causing them to wander around the wilderness for 40 years because they would not listen. Three or four times in those chapters, the author says, oh, my people, today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you tonight that you are a God that can be trusted. You're a God whose word is faithful and true. And hopefully we can take great encouragement and comfort from that. You know what you're going to do before you do it. You know how people are going to respond before it happens. You know the beginning and the end. You know it all and everything in between. You're in control. You're the sovereign God of the universe. 
And Lord, I pray tonight that as we have once again moved through a chapter in the great book of Exodus, that Lord, our hearts may be soft and tender towards you. That the impressions, Lord, that you want to make upon us, Lord, may always be able to be made, Lord, with just even the lightest of pressure. Uh, that still small voice that even Elijah heard. That you won't have to take drastic measures to get our attention or to make the impressions upon our hearts that you want to make. Help us to always, Lord, be pliable and not to be stubborn and obstinate like Pharaoh was. Lord, thank you for being such a patient, loving, merciful, and gracious God. But yet, God, tonight we have been reminded that there even comes an end to grace. There comes that point where there's only one more opportunity, one more chance. God, may we be cognizant of that and mindful of that, not only for ourselves, but for others as we live, as we, as we serve, as we pray. But Lord, may we live with a sense of urgency in the days in which we live for you. May we, through your enablement, make a great impression for good in this world. May each of us and our church make a difference every day in this world. These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for being here tonight. Go enjoy some more pie. God bless. See you next week.